All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome back to the Chat for God podcast, which I ran about 20 episodes of not too long ago. And then we decided to disband it because my partner at the time, Ashley from Girls Chat, who many of you might know, she just wasn't into it. She, she had other ideas. We had different visions, uh, you know, creative differences, as they say. So in the meantime, a lot of people have been writing me emails saying that they really loved it, that they were sad. It stopped. And, you know, I really thought about that. And I started tweeting about, you know, I'd really like to restart it if I could just find someone to, to restart it with, if I could find the right person. And a few people reached out. But uh, my friend Marin here, who uh, we have joining us today, uh, we talked quite a bit and we got to meet up actually for a little while in Austin recently. And I think Marin and I are going to give a give it a go. We're going to try to resume the Chat for God podcast because just due to popular demand, basically, uh, people people really enjoyed the concept. So I really want to keep it going. And Marin, thank you for coming on here today uh, for the first time and uh, trying this little experiment at uh, rejuvenating the, the Chat for God podcast. Yeah. And since I have no context about demand, I'm just doing it selfishly. So, <laughs> so I can spend my Sunday chatting for God, which I'm jazzed about. Yeah, no, I think I think I feel very good about this, and I'm excited to see what kind of unique vibe and ground you and I might uh, cover. So I think the best way to get going, since people have no idea who you are, is we should just basically introduce you to to the Chat for God audience. And since this is on YouTube, it'll also be the Other Life audience. I still have to kind of figure out how those things play together or don't. But uh, I'll, I'll well, here's what we'll do: I'll give everyone a, a quick little TLDR from my perspective, and then you can kind of correct me where I'm wrong, or or you can kind of uh, elaborate. The, the whole story. But the reason I'm most interested in you, Marin, as a, as a co-host of the Chat for God podcast is that you have a very interesting story that I think will resonate with a lot of the people in my audience, especially those in my audience who are interested in Christianity, because you basically were born as a, you know, as a, as a conservative Christian Texas girl. And then you went on to do pretty extraordinary things as a very successful entrepreneur and investor. And you're still quite young. You accomplished quite a lot in, in a short amount of time. And so you've had this uh, kind of uh, very fast paced and uh, successful journey of, out of a kind of Christian conservative background into this like very cosmopolitan, you know, educated, progressive, sophisticated, uh, you know, tech and VC world. And yet, <laughs> and yet you still have a lot of interest in Christianity. You still uh, find yourself called to it in certain ways, but you're, you're not really sure how to define that. And those are things that you're kind of working out for yourself, just like most of us are. And uh, especially people who listen to this podcast, mostly people who are, or I'm sorry, the chat for God podcast anyway, you know, it's mostly Christian leaning people, but people with kind of complicated or hard to define uh, ways of understanding that. And and so you really kind of match that. And so that's the basic background of why I thought, you know, after talking with you, Marin, you'd be, you'd be a great person to, to try the, the chat for God resumption with. Um, do you want to maybe tell us a little bit in your own words about that story? Like maybe we could uh, really try to give, give the listeners a sense of, of your story. Do you want to maybe take it from the very beginning and tell us a little bit about, you know, um, what, what were you like? What was like the young Christian conservative, uh, Texas girl like? Oh God. Yes, I will. Um, no, I, I would, I would love to. Uh, I, I also kind of, I firstly want to say I've spoken casually with maybe seven or eight people about coming on this podcast, potentially, you know, seeing, seeing where it goes. And, it has been so grounding and encouraging to 
even even find out the number of people who were raised Catholic or who continue to have these questions that are very personal of themselves and who don't have forums for them. Um, and, and, you know, across the gamut from Uber drivers to people I kind of thought I thought I knew well. And this is this is one of those funny things that's hard to hard to breach. So. And what did people what did people uh, tell you about the podcast when you said you were going to do do it? Were they I, like, "Oh no, don't talk to that Justin Murphy guy; he's crazy"? Or were I they like, oh, "A lot of people oh, on Twitter." I was like, "Okay, guys, I'm pretty excited about this podcast. Will you look at this guy's Twitter and tell me if I'm insane?" People like your cover photo. Really, you did that? That's hilarious. You did that. Oh, now I'm, I, I kind of thought I was kind of kidding. Now I'm terrified to know the the true responses that you got. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. I'm here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's cool. Yeah, you should take it. I, I do diligence. I do diligence. I'm a successful entrepreneur investor, Justin. Yeah, you're right. Nice. So what what other give me some other feedback? What do people say? Be honest. I'm curious. About, about, your, about your personality and your persona. Yeah, sure. Uh, what did they say? I don't know. People people were mostly like he seems he seems thoughtful. Um I think people felt like we could have a good dynamic because you you say some kind of I don't want to, I don't want to accuse you of being uh, absurdist necessarily, but like you'll, you'll play with, with, you know, what is Bitcoin? How do I, how do I make analogies? You're, you're, you're fluid about being okay with making analogies to things and like drawing connections, even if they're not academically square or whatever, um, which I think is, which I think is good. And just generally a willingness to like say things um, and, and ask for forgiveness later, you know, go to confession, do, do the things that totally. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. Cool. It, it's always good to know how one is perceived. So more about you though. Tell us, t- yeah. take us, take us to the top. Take us to the top. Um, I love Jesus for as long as I can remember. <laughs> I think uh, I was, I was raised in, as you mentioned, a really, a really Christian conservative household was very close to my grandpa in particular. My grandpa's Swiss um, and very like Swiss Protestant, stubborn um, of the of the like line of of Luther cares about the Bible, you know, has a kind of like rigor to his relationship with all of that, um, and took my family to the same church from the time my mom was two years old. Uh, it's a Bible church in in Dallas called Grace Bible Church, and a bunch of folks who attend Dallas Theological Seminary DTS also attend this. Um, this church. So I guess my, my family still goes there. I, I went my entire life. I have a tremendous amount of respect and love for, for that experience. And, uh, and in particular, I guess that the, the, the two early loves that I had were God, my, my religious context and, and like literature and just learning in general. So those things really complement each other. Um, as I was, as I was growing up and I cared a lot about trying to you know, as an 11 year old understand like the Hebrew next to the, next to the Greek and like what, what all of this could possibly mean and as truthful a sense as possible. And was really motivated by, by that upbringing to, to pursue that degree of understanding. And was there a point where you basically kind of uh, kicked it all to the curb and you were like, no, I'm, I'm too smart for this. I'm a, I'm an educated, sophisticated atheist now, or did you not have that kind of break or how did that work for you? Yeah, um, definitely, definitely incremental. I think I, I think in that pursuit of like, what is, what is true? What does God really mean? Since, since for us in this Bible church context, 
we were really meant to interpret the word, come to a personal interpretation of the word, a personal relationship with Christ, which was selfific in that in that sense. Um, and I I think in starting to be educated in the in like the scientific sense of what it means to be educated, um, and really appreciating Jesus's use of allegory and of stories. Um, that that's where my line started to blur a little bit, where I was like, okay, well, Jesus is God. Uh, Jesus clearly uses these stories to teach us things, perhaps parts of the Old Testament about the Ark, for example, you know, maybe that's also sort of an employment of, of, of a story that's not necessarily true. Um, and then things start to, things start to fall and you don't know what you have, what you have left. Um, and then when you need to, to face big, big questions like predestination and free will, um, and these more, you know, can God lift a, rock can God create a, a rock so large he can't lift it type questions um it gets you start to have less to fall back on so all of that was undermining through my through my teenagehood but there's just also something incredibly precious and um important still there for me uh, and I've kind you, of what, that ever since when you said before that you love God do you still feel that like do you still say that to people <laughs> you say I, I love God <laughs> I just walk around so I Oh gosh, you asked you asked about what young Marin was like. Fourteen year old Marin thought that an appropriate thing to do in school was to like write on whiteboards about I love God. I loved God. <laughs> you were sharing you were sharing the good news. You were sharing the good I news. I was sharing the good news. I was thrilled. I was like, guys, Jesus is the best. You know, this but you is, won't you won't say that now. <clears throat> do you say this now ever? Like even to close friends? I think in in my relationships with close fr close friends, it's for for me now. It's much less pithy than um, not to say saying I love God is pithy to say, but um, I guess there's something. There's a lot of there's a lot assumed in that. I think um, the 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 way I relate to it now uh, is is more that I I have for whatever reason it, a a real capacity to experience God or to experience you know. In my own in my own sense of what that means, um, and I feel very grateful for that, and feel very held by that lived experience of a relationship with what I can only conceive of as as God. Um, yeah. So you you feel the experience of God today, like in your life, you feel the presence of God in your life. Yeah, and it's something I do think. Uh, what knock in the door shall be open unto you, seek and ye shall find. It's definitely something that I I feel some like creative responsibility to. Um, Sounds sounds great. I want that. I've never had that ever. Like to yeah, me, it's we'll chat about it. What's that? I said we'll chat about it. Totally. Yeah, I want to be like trained in it. Um, but when I was doing this with Ashley, Ashley very much was like that. She had a profound kind of constant, everyday, subjective uh, relationship with God, and uh, yeah, I was always like in awe of it. I, it sounds awesome. Like I want it. Um, but I'm probably doing something wrong or thinking about it uh, the wrong way or something like that. So that's one of my goals for actually kind of, it's one of my goals for the podcast. Like I do kind of have this hope or dream that this podcast will actually, you know, it's, it's, it's purpose kind of is for me to deepen my understanding and, and my, my, my faith really um, mm -hmm. in a way that, in a way that makes sense to me because a lot of what's out there currently, it just doesn't, doesn't really make sense to me. I think it's a lot of it is kind of just like dumb, you know, it's like if I see someone, you know, if I like, you know, find some podcaster or some like YouTuber talking about God. It's almost always like they're just saying stupid shit that I'm just like, no, th this is totally lame, and and not lame. I, I mean, like dumb. Like it doesn't actually make sense. Um, 
So I just want someone, you're smart, Marin. So uh, go ahead, uh, make it make, make sense out of it for me, please. <laughs> make, make sense out of God for you. Um, yeah. Well, explain to me, explain to me what you mean maybe by like, what, what does it mean to have an experience of God, like in your life? Like, what does that look like? How do, how do you describe it or how do you make sense out of it? Yeah. Um, a lot of this for me does, does now I, I, I relate to it, um, in a very, I don't know, philosophical way. It's, uh, God to me is about an understanding of the impossibility of my ever having earned anything. Mm. And the profound smallness and helplessness that comes in that inability to have to have ever earned a thing. Um, I know and, exactly what you mean. Yeah, I like that. I thought about that too a lot. For me, it was like when I because I really started becoming Christian again. Like I kind of when I was fourteen, I'm done with confirmation. I basically kind of like kicked it to the curb and was like too good for that or whatever. And then it was really when I was around like 30 years old, so not that long ago, only a few years ago, that I started really feeling pulled back towards it in an authentic way. And it was very much what you just described. It was like I was I was like getting everything I ever wanted in life. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I felt just like very lucky. Um, I had a good job. I had a good wife and everything was just like my adult life was really coming together really well as, as I have, as I hoped for, as I planned for. And it was just like really, really good. And I was like, just on some deep level, I had this deep intuition that like, I don't deserve, like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. Like, this <laughs> is, this is not me. Like, uh, uh, to take credit for this would be crazy. Like if I were to take credit for what I've accomplished in my life, I would become like a megalomaniac because I would be like the, you know, I, I, I would, I would become really narcissistic and I'm like, it's just factually not, not right. Like I'm, I'm blessed and um, people are blessed in different ways. And sometimes people are cursed in different ways and everyone has their own kind of portfolio of blessings and curses, but it's like, whatever's going on here, it's not me. I can't take credit for this. Yeah. So I know you're, I know what you're talking about. I think if that, if that's similar to what you're saying. Anyway. No, very, very much so. Yeah. I think, I think that's one thing that, um, religious experience gives you or reminds you is there's, there's this, when people talk about the necessity of religious experience, I kind of think of it as like a necessity to, to, to experience our own smallness in ways which we can accept, um, and, and find like comfort and understanding. And there's something, there's something existentially true and important about our experience as human beings that we be able to reconcile ourselves to um, and accept and accept our our own our own smallnesses um, but also like the profundity of, of everything and it's just hard to do that next to next to anything which isn't incredibly large <laughs> you know you kind of need to be like humbled because um, if because because we live in this way where we we perceive ourselves as always being the biggest thing but of course that's absolutely fundamentally untrue and ridiculous um and and yeah. unhealthy to your to your point about like megalomania totally totally so why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are now and what you do people are probably wondering you know yeah who is this who is this person what, what does she do what's her what's her story now uh so tell tell us you know in, in a nutshell what you've done over the past few years as an as an entrepreneur and mm -hmm. as an, as an investor just give us the tldr yeah, I'll I'll try to I'll try to connect more dots more quickly um, to okay. to earlier pieces of experience. So r raised in a in a very Christian household, was not allowed to listen to non Christian music. Really didn't have the internet. Was not allowed to interact <laughs> with things which could like threaten you know me or my my sense of of the world. Um, started to fall out of that in in later high school. Um, 
and feel feel uh, less certain. And then in college, started actually attending Unitarian Universalist services. So my like young adult decision about how I would religiously religiously identify was to pursue communion with people, um, but but with more flexibility. I love the historical backdrop of that. You know, the Thomas Jefferson. Um, uh, Thomas Jefferson's of the world and uh, the that I guess like the enlightenment response perhaps to religion seems to be well encapsulated by what UU at least kind of um, suggests it is and um, proceeded to move to California was really interested in technology uh, I always identified very much with loving the humanities um, but wanted to wanted to change the world. And I, I actually identify with that deeply as a kind of missionary driven, like that's what I wanted to be as a child. I wanted to be a missionary. I wanted to make people's lives better. Um, and becoming a technologist felt very clearly like the thing, the thing that one should do uh, if, if they want to have a positive impact on people's lives today, or that, that was my narr narrative as a, as a 21 year old, certainly. Um, so I came out here, didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, founded a company, um, it was, uh, an AI company called Clara Labs, um, as it, as it were, we were saving the world by scheduling meetings for people, which, you know, is a, is, is a kind of roundabout way of saving the world. Uh, we can get into that some other time, but, uh, had also along, along that time founded a nonprofit called Interact. Um, it's a fellowship program of young technologists, um, which I pulled together when, when I, myself was 21 and has been operating in background for almost a decade now um, and has been just a, a big source of of joy and uh, meaningfulness in my kind of daily experience and circumstantially uh, the place I've been most likely to talk about religion and Christianity by far is in, in the Interact community and um, with this group of technologists who are, I guess, more open to um, I don't know, introspecting, thinking about themselves, thinking about their impacts, uh, and and outside of outside of interact, have had very little real forum for um, chatting for God, other than other than like me me with myself. Um, and I've I've definitely persistently um, read uh, and and kind of tried to stay in the loop, um, maybe a little bit overly academically, even like uh, maybe a little bit a little bit in the like theology realm a little bit less like boots on ground just talk about your experience of god you know so i have a sense and you can tell me if this is true in your experience or not but i have a sense that there's a lot of kind of closet christians in tech maybe not closeted christians even but kind of quiet christians somewhere between truly closeted christians and just kind of quiet christians because i've met a couple and like uh, like nicole williams for instance she's yeah. not closeted about it but um she, you know, she's a very smart young woman, uh, kind of in tech and and, in, and investing circles. And uh, she's a Christian. And from talking with her and a few other people, I get a sense that there is quite a little community of of pretty legit Christians in in tech and investing circles. Is that your sense or no? You know, I think I think it's there are some people who will openly identify as Christian. I think a lot of people struggle with the conflict that they feel between how much that understanding of the world has given to them and how valuable it has been. Um, and even just having a vocabulary for talking about shame or about grace or about like your own failure um, versus, you know, the, the baggage, I guess, that they perceive comes with identifying as Christian, be it 
that it's like not sufficiently West Coast elite <laughs> um, or, 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 or raise at the level of like, what does identifying as Christian require of me? Um, like how can I honestly identify this way? Um, and I, I will say, I will say many of those folks in my experience do happen to be transplants, like relatively far more um, folks from the Midwest, from Texas who end up on the coast, um, I think struggle, struggle with this uh, and, and like trying to, trying to integrate those parts of their lives um, into this, into this new environment, which is you're, you're just supposed to believe that like, if you weren't raised religious, you would never have missed it. And it was kind of a relic, um, which is no longer necessary in modernity, you know? Yeah. Well, I definitely think that there is in kind of high education circles, high IQ circles, high income circles, there's definitely um, a kind of bias against uh, religion or Christianity. I mean, it's increasingly popular, actually, now that I think about it. There's a kind of, you know, trendiness to being interested in religion. Uh, but you're only supposed, it's only supposed to be at a kind of abstract intellectual interest, you know? Um, mm -hmm. So if you're like, if you're reading books by like maybe Christian authors who are, you know, philosophically sophisticated, that's kind of cool and high status. But if you're like, yo, I'm a Christian. I love God. That <laughs> People are like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Uh, and that's kind of seen as like, all right, this person's probably just a little dumb. Uh, yeah. do, do you find that like have in your experience, like have you, have you, have you encountered that or no? Yeah. I, I would even say that only in the past few years has it felt like it's even been maybe interesting to say, like, seems like we don't have much culture. Like maybe there was something in the religious idea that was lost. You know, I think before, before a few years ago, it wasn't even a valid thing to suggest. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. But I mean, in your experience, like as someone with a, a kind of rather rich and intense personal, you know, religious um, background and someone who still harbors a great respect and interest in Christianity, even if you, you're a bit uncertain about how you describe that or define that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, in your experience, like coming up through the tech world um, and having the, all the success you've had, like, sure, I'm sure there've been times where you've like tried to tell, you know, friends or colleagues about, you know, your, your, uh, your, your interest in God or, or mm -hmm. the faith or, or what have you. And, you know, have you been, have you encountered, um, you know, bias or like a stigma yeah. or not really? It yeah, very much depends on who you're talking to. I would say scientists are actually really open, relatively speaking. I found to um, like religious discourse and the and like conceptions of God and and really provoked um, by them by and large. I think the I think the like investor entrepreneur world is really really prefers the stoic model of like you shouldn't even need those things to begin with. Um, even even things like people who actively meditate have have been sort of looked down upon. Like, were you to have emotions which you might need to have daily habits to help deal with, like that would have that would be seen as a bad as a bad thing. Um, philosophy in general, I think, uh, philosophy, art, meditation, like culture um <laughs> didn't didn't have like the the degree of utilitarian justification that that most uh investor types would have would have expected it to for it to be like part of the discourse you know right right every now and then you do see people who are super christian kind of come out of the woodwork i forget do you did you follow the story recently there was like some developer guy who's like fairly well known i think um 
fairly well respected uh, in kind of tech entrepreneurship circles. I, for, I totally forget the guy's name, but he basically came out as like a, a super explicit, like uh, Trump supporter uh, on Christian grounds. Like for him, it was like pretty much all about the abortion issue. And he wrote this like long essay that was basically saying like, you know, fuck off. This is what I think. Like, I don't, I know this is super low status in the tech community, but this is what I think. And do you, do you remember this? Do you know what I'm talking about or no? No, I wish I did. Okay. I'll have to dig it up. No, it's okay. But um, yeah, I kind of have this thesis that there's going to be, I think there's going to be a massive kind of Christian resurgence, especially in kind of high education, high IQ, high income circles, because I can see it kind of swelling up here and there. And I know a lot of smart, badass people who are kind of like that, but it's all very low key. It's all very underground, if you will. And yeah. I mean, I, I guess in some ways, my one of my goals is to kind of catalyze it a little bit, uh, be a little bit more public and a little bit more open about it. And um, hopefully, you know, this podcast might maybe become a little bit of a, uh, you know, a lightning rod for for this for this type of person who currently, I think, you know, in, in these circles, it's just like so low, it's so low status to, to, yeah. to have these kinds of uh, beliefs. Um, I'm curious and I, I don't want to, if, if you presume that your listenership already knows everything about you and your faith, um, you, Oh you no, do, no, don't I don't, I don't, me. I don't talk about the, I don't talk about my Christianity very much in, on the live streams or, um, on the other life podcast. That was the whole reason why I made chat for God as a separate podcast. So I could, so I could feel confident just talking about my interest in, in Christianity and, and the faith because on, on most of my like public platforms, I, I feel very inhibited. I don't really talk about it that much. And to mm -hmm. some degree, I think it's, it's, it's a good attitude because we do live in a, a secularized public culture where claims to faith claims to revelation um, are in some sense, just not valid. Like it's not, I don't think it's very good to uh, go into the public square and say like, we should have this person for president because God requires it. Like, I think yeah. that's not, I think that's actually not healthy mode of public discourse in an advanced Western society. I do believe in the kind of liberal civic, civic um, norms where, you know, we have to, we have to relate to each other in, in public intellectual life, primarily as, as, um, you know, rational agents. I, I do think there's a, a, a lot of good to that. Um, so the inhibition I feel talking about my own faith in uh, public life, I think is, is healthy to some degree. But then on the other hand, I do believe that Christianity is essentially rational. Like I do, I would defend the rationality of, of my, my belief in Christianity. So the way I've solved that is uh, I'll make a separate little like public space where I just talk about Christianity as much as I want. And that's the podcast we're on right now. So please feel free to ask me anything you want. Yeah. I think, I think it's probably easy to start with just, um, you know, if, if someone were to say, Justin, how do you rationalize identifying as a Christian? What, what is your response? Yeah. I usually say something like the following. When I look, when I read the books and I look at the basic ideas of Christianity, I'm just like, holistically, this is true. It just makes so much sense and it fits life so well. It fits my experiences and observations about what is good to do in life and what succeeds in life and what is bad to do in life and what does not succeed in life. It fits all of my intuitions and experiences and observations. In other words, that it fits all of the data I have about how the world works and how life works. Christianity is the best system I've come across. It's the best philosophy and and doctrine and an idea and story that I've ever come across that fits the data of mm -hmm. life so well. And, and to me, that's an essentially scientific 
perspective. Um, not to reduce it to science because faith cannot be reduced to science. The whole the whole point of that leap of faith is a moving beyond what science and, and rationality can justify. So I'm not reducing this. Is sometimes something people sometimes accuse me of. I'm not reducing Christianity to to a, to something that's fully encompassable by uh, rationality or science. But my point is, it seems to me perfectly rational and defensible from a kind of modern, advanced Western kind of intellectual perspective, a, a, a rationalistic kind of perspective to to see this philosophy and look at it closely and be like, okay, this is this is the true this is the true operating system. Like this is the correct um, true operating system for human beings, and that's that's a, the how I would go about defending it or explaining it from the rational perspective. But then I do think there's this irreducible stage in that where like you realize it's true, but you're not really sure. There's all these puzzles, right? There's all these like weird ideas that you're expected to subscribe to, like ideas that seem like miracles or superstitions or that just seem from a rational perspective impossible. Like, you know, did Jesus really, did he, was he really resurrected from, from the tomb? You know, did all of these like parables and stories um, that are part of the Christian faith, which you can't explain and you can't justify or defend rationally at all. They just, um, they don't make sense from a, from a scientific perspective. And to those, you just have to say, or the way I think about it is, to me, those are just mysteries. Like, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I, I really just don't know what that means. But if you look at the overarching operating system and you're like, this is a tr this is the true philosophy of life, uh, then what you do is you basically take the mysteries as questions. Like, what does it mean for Jesus to have risen from the dead? I just presume myself to not know that. I presume myself to have the shortcomings, uh, to be unable to comprehend that, uh, rather than considering it false or, you know, this is a totally unbelievable superstition uh, that I reject outright. It's more like, well, if this whole system is so true, as it obviously seems to be, there's probably some there's some way in which the story of Jesus's resurrection is true. There's some way in which it's true. I'm going to have faith that it's true. And I'm just going to spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what the fuck it means. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't curse on this Chat for God podcast. I let myself curse. I curse on other podcasts, but um, it is, I am trying to make it a, a habit of the Chat for God podcast. I will not curse. I want it to be family friendly where like people can listen with their kids. So sorry about that. Um, that's my take on it. That's pretty much how I see it. How, do you, how, how would you how would you describe it from your perspective? The, ra the rationale for Christianity, essentially. Sure, sure. Or however you think about it. Maybe you don't think about it that way, in which case you don't have to explain it that no. way. But how would you? I, I feel I think I think there's something very important to accepting, again, similarly to what I was talking about earlier, where you're accepting your smallness or, you know, giving yourself the capacity to feel small. If that's a, if that's like an essential experience, which is a, important and um I think in those gaps where, for me, the plausibility of Christ's having actually been resurrected um, and brought brought up from the dead that that seems unlikely <laughs> in, in the in the literal in the literal sense. However, I think there's something important about my and our collective ability to reason about our experience. Um, there's, I guess, this. It's kind of, kind of in the in the pragmatic school of thought. Sorry to sorry to mm -hmm. get a little over early philosophical, perhaps, but no, do it. Like the the John Dewey, uh, in and I've I've recently been reading a philosopher called Rorty, Richard Rorty, um, and they do a beautiful job talking about how value is about usefulness or the things which we should pursue in in the world are are 
um, usefulness over truth at some level. And this is, this is, this can be really contentious to fight, you know? Um, but I think that, that, you know, there's this idea of like an objectively true phenomenon that is just absolute, um, that, that we're pursuing and that I think science should pursue and, and has a responsibility to pursue. Um, and there are many things which we cannot defend in, in that way. We cannot say are, are objectively true, um, but but we still have our lived experiences. And presumably at the end and end of it all, the reason that we are pursuing truth is to some human or, or humane end, right? To some like value that we have in living and in in like interacting with each other. Um, and I think ultimately that that does bend to what is what is useful. Um, and insofar as something is untrue, it is not useful to believe <laughs> because you'll hurt other people, right? But um, insofar, insofar as something is, is, um, is useful, uh, it's, it is true in, in, in some real sense. That's important, even if you yeah. defend it impure, you know, empirically. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. Um, one of my favorite Christian thinkers and writers is William James who yeah. of course is, is um, associated with this, with this moment in American philosophy. And I completely agree. I think there are a whole bunch of other rational arguments that you can make in favor of, of Christianity. And that's something we can, we can, you know, catalog those for sure over time as I'm sure we will. Um, but at the, there's also a kind of uh, interesting alternative approach that I like, which is essentially the kind of aesthetic angle, which is mm -hmm. to just basically say, which is basically to say, you know, it's almost like if, if something is sufficiently beautiful, yeah. you can kind of just choose to uh, go all in on it as a kind of creative venture almost. And I, that's sometimes how I see Christianity is it's it's this kind of canvas in which it, well, first of all, it's this kind of extraordinary epic story uh, mm -hmm. associated with also just absolutely epic uh, artistic achievements. Totally. And, and it, and it has this just, massive incredible fascinating inspiring stimulating exciting storyline that's like open-ended and it invites you to like plug into it and on some level i want to say to people like this is just such a badass like uh it, like it's so it's so massive and it's so impressive that it's just like whether it's true or false maybe sometimes i think what faith might mean is like just giving yourself over to the work of art and making of yourself a work of art and kind of disregarding whether it's true or false. In some sense, there's this kind of aesthetic understanding of faith possibly, which intrigues me where you're just like, no, this is the most beautiful story ever. And I want to make my life the most beautiful story ever. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to weave myself into this most beautiful story ever. <laughs> and maybe that's, maybe that's a justification. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe some people would think that's like heretical, but uh, some I think about that sometimes. Do you ever think about anything like that? Or oh, totally. Oh my gosh, how many how many theories of beauty do I have? Um, well, hit us with your favorite. Hit 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 it. Well, whatever. What, just riff on that if you want. No, I I I think I think that um, I think that aesthetic defense is real. Um, I think that I mean you mentioned great art that has been produced through time. Um, so, so so much of what has been truly masterful that we've ever accomplished has has been religious, um, and I think if you if you see I lo I love art personally, um, and I, I love a lot of I do love a lot of um, con contemporary art and you know the the past century um, of of what 
of what we've been able to to produce um, is very inventive and very interesting. But I think there's there's also um, there's also a lot of uh, despair in it, and and kind of I don't want to say neg negligence necessarily, but I think um, without a sufficiently optimistic, meaningful narrative to reside in and to find real solace in your art kind of necessarily becomes um i mean it, i'm not i'm not really into ayn rand in uh in many many ways though i i was totally raised I, I skipped the piece of my falling out of my religiosity in which i became obsessed with ayn rand which i think is actually totally normal and happens all the time um to teenagers Dude, that, that's hilarious you just said that because i had an ayn rand period in high school a totally obsessed with ayn rand read all of her books in a few years in high school that's oh, very yeah. funny you said that exact same shit <laughs> and, and talk about like low status uh ideas or figures uh to mention <laughs> yeah. oh yeah no so let, yeah. Me, let me let me yeah please so so she actually has a, a really lovely book that i highly recommend um called the romantic manifesto and she herself is a phenomenal artist. Like nobody do, does not matter if you if you do not like her or b believe anything she says. Brilliant artist. Um, and so to see her theory of art and what it means to be an artist is 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 very interesting. And the thing that she says that she believes art does um, is it, it 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 reveals the metaphysic of the artist, right? So you are you are showing to people what it is that you essentially believe about the nature of reality through your art. Um, and she identifies Atlas Shrugged, et cetera, as being artistic works, right? And her, her, you know, John Galt, uh, her, her, her analog would be to the, like, what would Jesus do, right? She was very deliberative in understanding that as a kind of metaphysical piece of art that she was, that she was creating so that people could have this like paradigm, you know, um, and that's why it's so, I think, encompassing and enshrouding. But in lieu of in lieu of taking that responsibility, I think, to your own metaphysic or to or to having one like Christianity, which can underlie the art that you build on top of it. Um, I think a lot of people just sort of regress to some combination of like social, you know, social advocacy, which is a very powerful form of art. And I don't want to negate it. I think it's really important. Um, but it just I guess to the point of wanting to be small next to something, it's just a kind of sad thing to be small next to. It's political. It's immediate. It's not universal. It's it's identitarian, right? It's about like an identity which is at odds with another identity, as opposed to something which is like um, essentially universal. And and so a lot of a lot of contemporary art without this kind of Christian level epic philosophy metaphysic backbone that you can use to to kind of create a, creatively expose lots of lots of other endearing, um, hopeful stories. I, I feel like things become social and identitarian or just kind of despairing and just sort of like absurdist, um, you know, and, and, the, and, the, and the creativity becomes more about the medium, right? More about the material, like literally what materials am I using? What innovation happened here, like relative to the history? And then, and then it becomes very linguistic, very intellectual, um, very inaccessible to the vast majority of people who don't understand that kind of historical context for like why it is that they actually did something interesting or inventive here. Um, and neither of those are, neither of those are like the kind of soul giving artistic experiences that um, art, which was produced in these religious contexts or with intentional like metaphysics structure or backbone um, are at least to, to me in my experience. 
Right on. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear what you're saying on that. So, you know, you and I don't actually know each other very well. Like people listening to this might think we, you know, we're longtime friends, but we're not. We know each other mostly through the internet and we, we've only ever hung out in, in person one time. And so like part of the part of the fun of doing this, you know, if you enjoy doing the the podcast and we keep this going, we'll be just basically kind of you and I getting to know each other on, on pretty basic matters. So um, I feel like we've done a good job of kind of covering covering the 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 larger contours of of your life and 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 how you went from being a kind of culturally conservative Texas girl to, you know, your career in, in tech and, and entrepreneurship and investing and all of that. So I feel like we've given people a, a basic uh, storyline there for to get to get them up to speed on who you are and all of that. But um, now I'm kind of curious to maybe talk a little bit more about, well, I mean, you know, the basics of, of my story, I know the basics of your story. So now from here on out, it's like, uh, we should, I think, also try to, you know, uh, get to know each other a little better. So I'm curious, like what, you know, I'm just honestly, personally kind of curious about were you, when you were younger, were you like super, you know, you said that when you were younger, you were like writing on the bathroom walls, you love Jesus and stuff like that. Um, so like, were you, how, how long did that persist? Like, have you, have you, uh, what about like when you're 18, when you're 17, when kids are starting to like drink and do drugs and have sex? Like, are you, are you like still a kind of like prudish conservative girl or are you like becoming like, what are you becoming then? Kind of pa yeah. pa paint that story a little bit for us. I'm curious. I think I'll always be at least a little bit prudish, like for sure, actually. I And that's something we've, we've spoken about, about briefly. I think I'm I'm actually like pro-prudishness <laughs> at some real level. Um, I like it. Yeah. Very wholesome. Very wholesome. Good on brand for me. I like it. Yeah, good, good, good. Yeah, we can we can both rep the 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 endeavors to be wholesome, but we'll occasionally accidentally cuss and, and hopefully we'll get better about that over time. Um, but yeah, I guess so. I was, I was very unselfconscious about about my faith for a long time. Um, it was, it's funny. People people always talk about how, you know, they're like, oh, my gosh, when did you realize that your parent actually didn't know everything? You know, pe people will be like, oh, yeah, when I was 11 or 12, I started to realize, like, man, my dad's not perfect. Like, he doesn't he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know all of the stuff that's going on. And for me, it's really funny because I think I was actually always very keenly aware of the fact that my parents did not know what the heck they were doing or talking about. Like, I, have, I have a lot of very clear memories as a four or five year old being like, you guys don't know, don't know what's going on. Like, this is wrong. Um, maybe that's like elder, elder sister syndrome. I have three younger sisters. Um, but with, with my faith, it was really not something I was self-conscious about at all or ever, or ever really imagined, um, was, was possibly untrue, even though I, I had a lot of doubt myself. Um, it was something I saw as a personal inadequacy that I couldn't kind of reconcile myself fully to, um, to like the story. Uh, and I, I really, I really did take it, take it at face that it was, true in some very literal objective sense. Um, and, t and that, that continued until I was probably, probably around 14, 15, there started to be sufficient cracks in the armor. I'd started to create my own kind of contortionist system sufficiently by then through my own like reading and studying and becoming a little bit more like scholarly, I guess, about my, um, about my faith that, that, that started to warp. Um, and then 16, 17, uh, I mean, I was a nerd, right? Like I, I wasn't even, I wasn't even like a real nerd. Like nerds wouldn't have identified me as being a nerd, even though I wanted them to so badly, um, <laughs> which was totally, totally separate story. Um, 
So no, I didn't, I didn't do anything interesting. I signed, I remember, I remember a Bible study that I did um, when I was 15 in which I, I signed a pledge that I would never kiss anyone until I was engaged. Um, And then like the week before I turned 17, I started to freak out and I was like, oh my God, one day when you're 25 and someone says, when was your first kiss? You're going to have to tell them you were 17 freak years old. That is too old. You are a weirdo. You need to go kiss someone immediately. And so I just like made out with this random boy so that I could kiss him. Wait, wait, wait. So this was after you signed the pledge? You immediately set out to break it? I mean, it was it was about two years. It was about two years between between the pledge and me me starting to get anxiety that I was always going to be a freak. Um, so you, you held you held the pledge for two years, and then you um you kissed you kissed someone when you were I guess therefore nineteen. I was well, I was about to turn seventeen. I signed the pledge at fifteen. Oh, oh, gotcha. I was about to turn seventeen, and I just didn't want to deal with the shame of like that explanation about why I was so, cause it was weird. You know, if I was normal and cool, you know, it would be fine that I hadn't kissed someone until I was 17, but because so, I was kind of I and weird, I was like, I need to get on this. Immediately. So did you, when you, when you kissed someone for the first time, when you were 17, did you feel like you were uh, betraying God? Did it feel sinful? It did. It was weird. It was, it was, it was that very, probably, that probably made it hotter though. Didn't it? No, <laughs> being honest. I, no? Well, okay. I chose, I chose a random guy. I chose such a random guy and it was so sad because he fell in love with me and he like made me these mixed CDs and all this stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, I completely used you. Like, this is not how this was supposed to be. Um, wow. so that was, that was a bummer. Wow. And, and did you feel bad or no? Like from oh, the yeah. religious, like, did you feel guilty? Um, I did feel good like toward god or was it more just like yeah i feel bad for fucking up this guy's head don't use that word oh yeah sorry sorry i no i'm really gonna try okay yeah um i i think i think i was really trying to fight with like my my relationship with with all of that at that point i knew that i knew that i I had put a lot of pressure on myself, right? I knew that God didn't expect me to not kiss anyone until I was married, right? That I knew that that was a commitment that I was making out of an effort to be as like pious and committed as possible. So I, I don't think I felt that guilty about kissing someone. I do, I do think I felt guilty that it was out of the frame that I that I would have hoped for, right? Where you like fall in love with this <laughs> boy who like also loves you and it's so sweet and um and you like there's a lot of frame of reference, I guess, for what it would mean to be physically intimate with someone who understands that and has been raised that way as well. And like the amount of respect that you put in that entire experience. And I I did feel badly that I had kind of ripped ripped that away. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because from my upbringing, like I, I obviously I remember you're not allowed to have sex until you're married, but kissing I don't even remember that being stigmatized in any way. Like I I was I was I was hoping I was like hoping to kiss girls like as soon as they they would have me. You know, like I don't ever remember there being any compunction whatsoever about kissing girls. Um, Do, is that Catholic? I I hate I hate to so I have we we need to talk more about like the Catholic versus kind of Protestant. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I don't, I, I doubt that this is a particularly, you know, denominational wrinkle here, but uh, probably just more that, I mean, I was, so I had this period when I was like nine years old where I was like super, super 
cons- like kind of conservative, like culturally conservative Catholic in, in, in weird, in very like weird ways. Like I was obsessed with not lying. I thought that if I ever told a lie, I would like go to hell. I, I had some kind of bad CCD teachers. CCD is what it's called in Catholicism, like Sunday mm. school, basically. I had uh, I had a couple bad ones who I think were just some combination of actually dumb and uh, and like a bit bitter and and, and nasty people. And I, I somehow got it into my head that you know if I if I ever told a lie, I would like definitely go to hell. But I all, but then I got it into my head. I'm a, I'm a bit like you know over analytical type of person, and um, I get I get kind of obsessed with certain ideas and kind of like take them to extremes, I think, uh, is a personality trait of mine. And I re- there, I had a period, it was a serious problem, uh, like for about a year or two, it was kind of like an OCD. It was almost like an OCD issue. Looking mm-hmm. back on it, I, I didn't know that then. I wouldn't have that word for it. But it was like, I was, I, anytime I would have a conversation with someone, if I feared that maybe they misunderstood something that I said, mm-hmm. I was afraid that God was watching that and defining it as me lying to the person. And I would do, I would do really like ridiculous things like, um, call, like call people on the phone the following day to clarify what I said in a previous conversation and then like completely trivial things too. It's like not, not even important whatsoever, just cause I was anxious thinking that maybe they misunderstood and therefore God would call that a lie and I would go to hell. Like yeah. I did, I did this kind of like obsessive compulsive, like fact checking on myself behavior for like a year or two when I was around nine years old. Um, so with, with with those kinds of exceptions, I did have the, those kinds of periodic um, serious investments in what I was what I was learning about Christianity. But other than that, like once I once I started growing up and was like, um, I mean, first time I kissed a girl was I don't I think it was fifth grade if I remember. How old are you in fifth grade? I don't know. Right? Or, sixth, or sixth grade? How old are you? When you how, how old is that? How old 10, is 11, 11, maybe you're 12, maybe you're 12, generously. Uh, yeah, let's say 12, let's say 12, okay. probably 11 feels, I think it's probably sixth grade, 12, maybe um, around then, just like making out real quick, like it, at like a makeout party. Did you do that? Did you guys do makeout parties? Like, uh, it's really creepy and weird. But I this was is what- in, again, very clo- close quarters. There were no, there were no makeout party. There was nothing in the league of makeout party for me. Yeah. So it, this was, this was something that happened basically around like 12 years old, which is crazy young. Like that is so degenerate that you literally old kids. all these like sweet little dang, you know, dangly objects or whatever. Oh my God. In, in retrospect, it's horrifying. And, and, and it, actually this is one of the, one of the issues I've become most culturally conservative on is like sex and young people. I'm like, when I have kids, like I'm going to be the most reactionary controlling father ever. Like there's no way, there's no way my, my son or my daughter. And it's not just like a controlling of women type thing. It's like my son as well. Like I, there is no way I'm going to do everything in my power to discourage them from having sex, like, or even making out before like 18. I think it should be illegal. I think, I think it should be like, I, I seriously think our society should be way, way more focused on uh, controlling and preventing early age sexual interactions, um, even things like making out just because it is really, really emotionally impactful. It really is. And it really matters. And doing it when you're, when you're so young and young kids are idiots and they're so brutal too. Like they're so brutal. I had my heart broken a couple of times, like when I was like very, very young, because I was like, you know, dating, you know, way too early, way too early. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, anyway, I forget where were we going with this? (laughs) (laughs) God knows. uh, Um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we were, we were talking about like just the the experience 
going going through teenagehood and guilt related to your experiences of like, did I kiss someone? How should I feel about that? You know, were were you taught in in a Catholic context that the, that those things were bad? Um, oh right, right, yeah. So for me, like by the time I started like uh, kissing chicks, it was like I didn't even connect that to religion. I don't mm -hmm. remember feeling bad about that at all. I was just pumped. <laughs> yeah. I will say the OCD thing is really very interesting because I actually had a very similar experience at, at about the same age, like nine, oh, yeah? nine, 10 years old. And I, I mentioned, I mentioned basically that I took, I took everything as, as being true. And so if, if I couldn't myself personally internalize that, that some Christian concept was, was true. And if I couldn't live by it, I felt terribly badly. Um, and in that, in that case, my obsessive thing that I would do multiple times a day was re-accept Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, just like over and over and over. Cause I was like, I, I may have messed it up. I could have done it wrong. Like I need to, you know, I need to really create space for this, this, this decision is important. I, I wonder if, I wonder if that's like less likely of, of a thing for, for someone who's Catholic to do, but the, the whole Protestant notion of like your choice to accept Christ in this like space that you create for him in your life and the acceptance of spirit, you know, in your body um, was, I mean, it's a lot of pressure to like figure out how to do that or it was for me, you know, and not, yeah. So the, the yeah. OCD, OCD um, responses is an interesting, an interesting shared experience for sure. I wonder if other non-religious kids have like equal, equal levels of OCD, or maybe we're just OCD. Like I'm probably, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. No, I mean, I doubt that it's religion causing it. It's probably more that people who are highly kind of analytical and scrupulous about things. Scrupulosity is probably the trait that's really at work here, I think. Um, because in some ways, like OCD is like in a, a kind of extreme pathological uh, scrupulosity around things that don't even call for it. Uh, but it, it's probably more likely that just scrupulous people incline towards the rules and rituals and, and regulations of of religion, perhaps. So it could be a it could be a, you know, feedback loop a little bit. So, yeah, no, that's fascinating going through the childhood stories. I'm trying to think if there's anything else uh, kind of notable for me. When I was young, Did you ever have um, any religious religious career aspirations. Ooh, um, no, de definitely not. But you know what? Actually, every now something that I've been told many times in my life is that uh, Justin, you should be a preacher. I've heard this line like a few different times. So I think I have some personality traits or like tendencies that kind of go in that direction. But no, I've never ever personally felt called to anything like that personally. Have mm -hmm. you? Yeah. No, I was oh. when I when I was younger. I mean, I I really. I think I've mentioned this very profound and weirdly intense moment. Like one of one of my most distinct childhood memories um, is being in a in a Sunday school class, and um, I knew I I had wanted to be a missionary. But and this is after years of the OCD, like constant re re acceptance of Christ. Um, and we were talking in the class about predestination. Actually, uh, it was a it was it was a class where where we were discussing it. And I, I basically came to an understanding that um, though I just must not have been chosen by God, like I was just not predestined to be chosen. I couldn't, I couldn't accept him. I knew that other people could. I knew that other people had been chosen and I still badly wanted to be a missionary so that I could help other people, you know, not have to go to hell basically. <laughs> and that was my, 
Whoa. And you were how old? How old then? 11. Wow. Yeah, I'm kissing, chicks. I'm kissing chicks and you're trying to save people from uh, hellfire. Let's talk about predestination. Break that down for people who maybe don't know what that means. Can you explain what that means? Yeah. Um, so there is the, the thing which the thing which we have been given by God in order to exalt him is free will, which is the capacity to choose to accept God, to accept God's love and grace. Um and to accept that our purpose is in exalting him. Um, importantly, with all things related to free will, God is also still God, right? God created everything. And so God had to have known at some level that not everyone was going to accept him. Um, and certainly he had to have known in advance who who would and wouldn't, because he knows everything. Uh, so there, predestination is basically about the idea that some people have been chosen by God or allowed by God to, to, to find God and to build this relationship with him, which is salvific and means that they can spend forever with God. Um, and, and of course other people can't, which is, you know, if, if everyone could find their way to God or, or everyone was, was going to, then like hell wouldn't exist naturally. Um, so the tricky thing becomes like, uh, you know, can, am I destined? Am, have I been predestined? Have I been chosen by God um, to be able to even like see see Him at all or or accept this? Uh, and that was really hard for me as a kid. What's like the point of this? This seems like such a bizarre idea, though. Like, do, doesn't it seem kind of messed up if there is if it's all sorted in advance, right? Like, if if you're either going to hell or you're going to heaven, kind of in advance, is that that seems kind of like a dumb idea? <laughs> like, why why is what, how do you make sense out of that? Or like, can, can you, can you explain the, the like logic of that or yeah. why people? Yeah. I think it's kind of, re- I think it's kind of related to the, like, could God create a rock so large that God couldn't lift it? It's, it's one of those like central paradoxes where God is the creator and controller of the universe. Um, God allowed for there to be a world in which not everyone got to choose him because there is a hell. So he, he chose some people and not others or, or allowed some people to choose him and not others. Um, we have to, we have to have a way to, uh, to basically reason about why some of us won't make it kind of. Right. Uh, and that's right. Kind of what. Okay. Yeah. And so is this something you subscribe to, to today or how do you think about it? Um, I think about predestination differently now um certainly than when I, I said it when i said it seemed dumb i just meant like i don't understand it it seems dumb to me but i'm sure there's like a smarter understanding you, of it which yeah you know have you have you thought much about predestination i'm just curious like how no how no that that's alien to catholicism that's a that's a totally prot thing that i i never really understood i mean the, my only under my only familiarity with it is through max weber and his famous book the protestant ethic um, uh, yeah. and, and the spirit of capitalism uh, and f- for people who don't know that book or don't know Max Weber, that it's a very famous book. Um, the, the empirical arguments have been somewhat discredited over time through more sophisticated causal analysis. But the basic idea that comes out of that book, which it's most well known for, is that uh, there's something peculiar about Protestantism that laid the kind of psychological and sociological conditions for modern capitalism as we yeah. know it. And uh, predestination, uh, which is a Protestant idea is one of the aspects that uh, Weber sees as lending itself uniquely to a kind of capitalist 
society because of the basic idea being that in this world where everyone is understood as either predestined to heaven or hell, there is this kind of um, anxiety uh, th that leads to a kind of uh, busyness, basically. So the, the hypothesis is something like, since since you can't really control it, and you're either going to heaven or you're going to hell, in the meantime, you should just work as hard as you possibly can. That's <laughs> basically the mm -hmm. idea as, as a way as a way of kind of coping or as a way of, um, you know, it's like the most wholesome and effective way to pass the time. You know, mm -hmm. it's like this idea of, uh, you know, uh, what's the what's the famous saying that um, idleness is the devil's workshop or mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's translated in different ways. But it's something like that, that if you're if you're not working as hard as possible, then you're giving the devil a room to, you know, enter, enter your life. And uh, Weber, Weber made a, the argument that this was a kind of empirical correlation, that the Protestants who believed in predestination uh, had this much more anxious, hardworking um, attitude of always trying to fill the time with productive labor. So mm -hmm. that, that's, in a, in a nutshell, Weber's argument. That's um, a very cartoonish kind of summary of the argument. Yeah. It's, it's a fascinating and, 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 and quite impressive book, um, yeah. which, which is quite worth reading. But that's pretty much all I know about predestination, it's totally alien to Catholicism. Yeah, I think that I think the thing that's very important to Protestantism is the idea of free will, basically, right? You Like Luther said, you interpret this work, you develop your own personal relationship with God through your understanding of, you know, this, this text and his, your direct experience of God. And actually, it's, it's funny, we'll, we'll talk more about like, my re relatively more direct experiences of God versus versus perhaps you, you're, you're not experiencing that as much. And that might be that might be a practice which has indoctrinated me in the idea that I should, in fact, be in a personal relationship with with a God that I can like embody at some at some level or, or, or that embodies me rather in a, in a quite, mm. quite real sense. Um, and so and so I've, I've probably come to associate some of those moments of smallness, et cetera, which feel profound as as essentially as essentially that in a way that you may just not have that like label. Um, or, 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 or something. And then you learn how to recreate those experiences, you know, once you identify them. What is it? Somatic therapy is all about like recognizing feelings that you have in your body and being able to like identify them better in the future and blah, blah. So we'll, 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 we'll chat about that. But yeah, I think, I think the importance of predestination is that Protestant, Protestantism cares about will. It cares about your agency and choosing God. And it believes that the, the important thing that God pursues is your free choice of him. Um, but obviously not everyone, not everyone does. And God had to have known that. So predestination is basically just a way of, of acknowledging that the fact that God has this free will to choose him means that he also had to let some people not choose him. And of course, it's not really their fault at the end of the day um, in a way that, that, and that, 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 that becomes a hard thing, right? You'll talk to some people about predestination and they'll say, no, you know, God, um, the classic case is like, what if there was a child, you know, in some country raised in a different religious context who never even heard about Christianity, who never even had this possibility of accepting Christ and, and, being saved in this way. Um, and the, the response is usually like, no, God has kind of accounted for, for that somehow. Um, that person wouldn't have had the capacity to accept this gift by grace, um, even given it in any context. And, and we just need to like, kind of be deferential to, to, to God's kind of re reckoning with that. Right on, right on. 
Well, Marin, we are coming up on it. We're now past an hour. I think that's a healthy, a healthy stopping point because I could talk about this stuff all day, as I'm sure you could too. And sometimes it's good to, you know, uh, have an artificial stopping point just to make it make it nice and tidy. But I'm curious before I let you go, you know, this is our first experimental, you know, test run of of resuming the the Chat for God podcast. What did you think? How, how are you feeling so far? I mean, I feel good. I've never I've never done a podcast. I've never done anything like this. Uh, this is like a subject that matters a lot to me, and it'll be, but it's very personal. So it'll be really interesting to kind of um, unpack it and like figure out which things once I hold them up to the light, like make any sense. <laughs> you know? I think we, we all develop our own, especially around God. Like we end up, we end up kind of developing these like largely feelings based narratives even. Um, and, 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 and pulling those things out is, is, is an exercise I'm very excited for. And I hope people um, at least identify with like the difficulty of that effort and feel some solace in being with other people who are fumbling around. Like <laughs> totally. I feel, but but let's mean, be, how are you? Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Most of the people here are just—they're really here for the juicy stories from my childhood about uh, all the all the the things I've gotten into. Uh, no, so no, this was fun. And for for people listening, uh, go and subscribe to the Chat for God podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcast. Just search Chat for God, and uh, we're gonna do at least another handful of episodes. You know, I'd like to do things in kind of short experimental units, see if we like it or not, and see how we feel. So we're going to do at least a handful more episodes, Marin and I, and uh, let us know what you think. If you have any feedback, we're happy to hear it. Uh, but please do subscribe to the podcast and and listen to this later on your phone. And yeah, that's pretty much, I think, all we got for today. Um, and Marin, thank you very much for trying this with me. I hope I hope I hope we find I hope we get into a good groove that we both that we both appreciate. And uh, yeah. yeah, cool. We'll see what happens. So so thank you, Marin. All right, for folks. Sure. For those for those of you listening or watching on YouTube, go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And I'll be back on here for something um, something else sooner or later. Thanks, everyone, as always. All right.